This is Wendy Covey, author of Content Marketing Engineered, Build Trust and Convert Buyers with Technical Content, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I produce this podcast to help us both keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow faster by taking a sales-based approach to marketing. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. And if you're one of the many, many listeners who's left a review on Apple Podcasts, I want to drop a little something in the mail to thank you. Details after the interview. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Wendy Covey to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Content Marketing Engineered, Build Trust and Convert Buyers with Technical Content, published River Grove Books. Wendy Covey is a CEO, technical marketing leader, and named by the Wall Street Journal as one of the 10 most innovative entrepreneurs in America. The last 20 years, Wendy has helped hundreds of technical companies build trust and fill their sales pipelines using compelling technical content. Her company, True Marketing, is a full-service marketing agency based in Austin, Texas, that specializes in marketing to engineers and technical audiences. And interesting fact, she holds the Texas state fishing record for largest redfish. Wendy, congratulations on Content Marketing Engineered, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. I am thrilled to be here today. Me too. So long-time listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast may remember a couple of years back, I interviewed the co-founder of True Marketing, Rebecca Geyer, about her book, Smart Marketing for Engineers. And uh, then I had her on the uh, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails uh, special episode, which I, I heard you listened to. <laughs> Absolutely. We talked about you, so hopefully your ears were burning. And she's uh, now gone on to uh, other things. But this is now the, the second book, I guess, from from True Marketing. But more important than that, Wendy Covey, you are a graduate of Texas A&M University. And Ooh. Giga Maggie's. And uh, it means a lot to me. I went to junior high and high school in Texas. I was accepted to Texas A&M, almost went there. I still have a special place in my heart for that school. And now I've just lost every University of Texas listener uh, on the show. <laughs> but it's really important that you are here now because I have interviewed two University of Texas graduates on the show, and I have interviewed only one 
Texas A&M grad, and now you're the second. So it's all tied up. And I don't have to tell you how important that is, right? Very important. Well, I am glad to be here to represent. Very good. So you sent me a copy of your book, which got me, you know, of course, very excited. I kind of knew it was coming because we had talked about it. And in the beginning of the book, you actually autographed it for me. And that means so much to me because I don't collect signed sports memorabilia, Wendy Covey. I collect autographed marketing and sales books. And you wrote, to Douglas, happy hunting and fishing for new stellar clients, Wendy Covey. And I had to laugh because (laughs) not only do you know about fishing, but you know quite a bit about hunting because one of your other businesses is the old number six ranch. Tell listeners about that. It is. So we purchased this ranch with a few other families with the idea that we would get our children off of devices, you know, away from the computers and out doing things outside. So um, those things are sometimes fun, like looking at animals and finding uh, sheds on the ground. But more often than not, it turned into filling feeders and fixing fences. And as you can imagine, as the as the kids became teenagers and started driving, their idea of going to the ranch was, <laughs> they weren't that excited, let's, let's just say. So, um, but it's a neat ranch. We have exotic animals, mostly um, from Africa and Asia, de- Asian descent. And um, it's just a, a neat journey to, to be out in the world, see them. And uh, we are red meat eaters and we only eat what comes off of our ranch. We don't buy any beef anymore. So it's, it's pretty neat to know the exact source of your food. That's true. And it's uh, got me excited. I, I already knew about it and I've gone all over your website, look at all these uh, <laughs> things. And uh, I'm going to include a link to it at your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And Wendy Covey, I'm just saying, you know, if, if you ever have any last minute cancellations for trophies, um, you know, I, I'm here to help. Okay. And along, with, right. along with my Remington 700, which is cited in. So um, <laughs> cited in, ready to go. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep you in mind, Douglas. Thank you. Thank you. And I, there are a few more places on the wall uh, in the study that, you know, okay. need a little, uh, you know, a decoration. So uh, further street cred. Now, in you know, you, you have a trophy hunting ranch. You're a Texas state holder for uh, largest red drum. So there, there's, there's street cred there, but you also have street <laughs> cred in spades with all the engineers. And part of that is because your brother is an electrical Is that right? That is correct. So is he has he always kind of kept you honest as it relates to speaking to engineers? <laughs> you know, I always do have him in the back of my mind and and my dad is a civil engineer too, so I have two of those in the family. And and they, they're different, right? The the two of them they think differently, they process the world differently. I've always noticed this even as a kid and um in the in the introduction of my book, you may have noticed that I tell a little story and if you don't mind, maybe I could tell it real quick here. Sure, about your uh, brother? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, first me in high school, I was like a social butterfly and I was, you know, on the student council and had lots of friend groups and I was even the mascot, uh, believe it or not. I wore the big, big tiger suit. So that was kind of, kind of my thing, right? Just all over, wanted to be a part of everything. My brother, meanwhile, 
would go down the block on recycle day when people would put TVs or radios that, that were broken out on their curb. And he would actually pick up those things, bring him back to his bedroom. He had circuitry, like, like, you know, like you'd collect whatever. I was probably, who knows what I was collecting at the time, um, you know, music albums. And, and he would fix those devices and then bring them back to the people, set them on the front porch and just leave. He wasn't doing it for, I mean, really? Like, he was like just the doing it for a hobby. Yeah, he wasn't doing it for money. He just loved fixing things and figuring out how electronics work. I mean, who does that in high school? <laughs> Future engineers. A future engineer, exactly. So uh, it's a good way of illustrating how, how engineers are a unique bunch and how they think. So this is a great book, and I enjoyed reading it, and uh, liked it a lot until like age 101. And then I lost Uh-oh. all respect for you as an author. Wendy oh, Covey. no. Okay, let me turn. Let me turn there. 101. Oh, I see. I see what <laughs> happened kidding. here. She, <laughs> she was kind enough to mention the Marketing Book Podcast, so I thought that was I – was, I was excited to see that. I kind of had a feeling that might be coming, but I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> But uh, I do want to wrap up this interview, not not now, uh, but there's a, something at the very last page of the book where we you talk about the top nine mistakes that can tank your content marketing ROI. And as I read through that, you know, we'll touch on some of them, but I thought, yeah, I've seen that go wrong. I've seen that go wrong. That's exactly where all the landmines are. But, <laughs> but there's a few other things I, I really want to uh, share with the listeners. And, but I want, before we start talking about the book, there's a couple things I wanted to ask you to explain. There is an intro. The intro to the book is written by J.D. Sherman, who is the chief operating officer and the chief financial officer at HubSpot, a company we both know really well. And he, I thought it was really, really well done. And it wasn't long. And at one point, he talks about the idea that when you do content marketing, you're actually creating an asset that starts performing for you rather than a marketing expense, which is, you know, all gone, more or less, like once the trade show booth is torn down. Mm-hmm. And he said, it might seem odd to compare marketing to manufacturing, but it's actually a pretty good analogy. In many ways, you're building a factory with your content. Could you explain what he's talking about there? Sure. And I love this analogy because it resonates very well with business leaders when a marketer is going to them and saying, we need to invest in content, but that you know, you're not going to see leads right away. This this takes time, um, and so when you think about building a factory, you have some um, upfront investment in capital equipment, in the physical structure itself, right? And so you're not making money. Um, you know, you can, you're not cranking out widgets right away, right? You have to build the infrastructure, and then you can start to create product, and then you make money over time. And so if you think about this from a tax perspective, you're able to amortize that capital capital investment um, over multiple years until you see profit, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if we compare that to content marketing, the widgets 
is content, you know, your individual pieces of content. But in order to get to the point where you can create those widgets, you first need to build a foundation. You need to determine um, who you are as a company, what personas you're targeting. You need to identify um, who will be writing the content, um, what marketing automation platform you'll be using. You need to invest in your website. So you have all these foundational things that are central to executing on content marketing. So by the time you actually create your content, let alone gain traction with Google, some a good amount of time has gone by. And so there is a pretty big upfront investment before you start to see, you know, search engine results rise and in, in people visiting your site and let alone gathering leads. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm talking to companies and they don't seem to grasp that or it's foreign to them or they don't want to hear it, I often wonder about the value of their company anyway, <laughs> if they're not used to in- <laughs> investing in something. But so many of these you know, industrial or manufacturing companies, they'll invest a million dollars in equipment. <laughs> and they're wondering why oh. it's not running 24 hours. But it's a great analogy that he includes there. And there was one other thing in the book where you included a Harvard Business Review article by the HubSpot founder, Brian Halligan, about replacing the sales funnel with the sales flywheel. And I will include a link to that article on your episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But can you explain briefly what he's talking about, this concept of going from the traditional sales funnel that I think almost everyone seems to still have as a, a paradigm to going to this flywheel? And all technical audiences will know what a flywheel is, right? Right, right. Isn't that the genius of it? Um, when, I, when I talk to engineer business owners and we start talking about you know the inertia that is applied, you know, anyway, they they love the flywheel. Um, but but first, let's talk about the funnel. So w- we all know the marketing funnel where you know um, awareness goes to leads and you work your leads all the way down to a customer. But what you're missing is the effect on um, customers becoming advocates and um, customers becoming repeat buyers and what is the cycle you know where do those things that spit out the bottom as customers where do those loop back around and how do they help you back up at the top of the funnel and so essentially the idea of the flywheel is how can we work on each of those pieces and think of this as a cycle that continues to turn and the faster it turns the more um the more inertia you have, right? Um, so it's a virtuous cycle over time. And so this gets into things like net promoter scores and, you know, and maybe perhaps your next best customer is your past customer. And so it's changing the mindset from we always have to get new leads to how are we getting this flywheel to turn more efficiently and quicker? And how do we turn customers into advocates to either influence or have repeat business? Yep, it works well and it's faster revenue, but you know, it's um I've had other authors on the show in the past who talk about how well, you know, some companies still have this hunter versus farmer approach. Again, mm-hmm. back to hunting with Wendy Covey. I mean, come on. <laughs> but it's sort of like, yeah, I got to go bag the new uh the new account, the new client or whatever where when actually uh <laughs> the real money is in keeping customers and uh, getting them to advocate for you. And at the end of that Harvard Business Review article, he mentioned that if you want to build a great company now, your customer experience has to be 10 times better than the competition. And he writes, it used to be what you sell that really matters. Now it's how you sell that really matters. It was it was a great article. And I think I had seen it before. And I, 
I, I just loved it. So I want to read a bit from the beginning of the book, from the uh, introduction. And it's a little bit longer, but it's really well done. And then we're going to jump into more questions. So you write, and this is on the same page that shows adorable little Wendy Covey with her older (laughs) brother looking very uh, 1970s, 1980s. You write, chances are, if you've picked up this book, you fall into one of two camps. You're a marketer focused on reaching engineers or an engineer learning to become a marketer. In both cases, you've chosen a unique profession because an engineer and a like-minded technical buyer doesn't have the same doesn't behave the same as your typical B2B buyer. To successfully reach these audiences, you need a greatly differentiated approach. Engineers are inventors, complex problem solvers, and technology drivers. Their work makes a significant impact on our everyday lives, from the drinking water that sustains us to the digital devices we love to the vehicle airbags that keep us safe. Think about the engineers you know in your life. They are, tr- they are likely trustworthy, analytical, logical, and creative. Does this description fit? When facing complex challenges that often pose significant risks, if not addressed correctly, engineers seek out information from trusted sources. Who and what are these sources and how does the engineer know they can be trusted? Traditionally, a company's technical sales force was its primary source of information, and a company brochure or catalog was the core piece of reference content for a purchase decision. Salespeople would visit, hopefully invited, (laughs) or dial for dollars to connect with their target buyers. Today's engineer buyers are in charge of their interactions with your company. Interruptive sales solicitations and physical meet and greet activities have been replaced. The seminar has given way to the webinar. The trade show pendulum has swung towards an always-on search engine or industry directory. And the early stage sales visit, if there is one at all, starts with an online chat. Instead of sales holding information hostage, engineers can find the content they need online. They expect to conduct a great deal of independent research before engaging with vendors. Companies who share expertise through quality content on a consistent basis are seen as trusted resources, spend less per lead, and achieve greater pipeline efficiency. So. Wendy Covey, that's all true. And yet you say that gaining the trust of an engineer is not an easy task. (laughs) Why is that? It is not uh, because they are skeptical of being marketed or sold to. Um, You just described some critical applications, right? Um, Imagine if you're in charge of selecting the chip that goes into a pacemaker, and if you don't make a good selection there with that, you know, the components that go in there, someone's life is on the line. Mm. So imagine how careful you need to be when you make that decision. So the companies targeting that design engineer need to be thorough in their communications. They need to be have, have the right tone. Um, and so you can't just entrust this to, say, a junior marketing person right out of school who knows a lot about social media um, to get it right. It needs to be a thoughtful approach and um, one that that really puts this um, persona in the forefront of minds and has strikes the right balance of technical information. And that's not easy to do. You know, I mean, if if you put an engineer, sometimes engineer writers want to go too far the other way and put all the specs face front. And and that's not the answer, right? Mm -hmm. So so it must take a nuanced approach to reach this buyer. 
Yes. So how do you do it? Okay. <laughs> you, there's well, actually, so I wrote a book, Douglas. Yeah. And actually your book, you've, you've cut it down, but I mean, the book could have been a thousand pages. I mean, I you, you covered so much ground, uh, but you, you cut it down and uh, gave folks a lot to get started with. But I, I wanted to, uh, there were some religious moments where I read a line from the book and I said, yes, amen, sister. And there was one on chapter one. And it says, it's easy to make your brand story all about you and your products or services, (laughs) but successful brands make their customers the focus. Wendy Covey, how do personas help with that? Yeah, personas are are the key to everything. And so it starts with not just saying, oh, we want to target a test engineer or a design engineer, but let's be really specific about that person. You know, what is their age? What is their, where do they live? Um, What education do they have? But more importantly, what is the pain that they're facing in their job? You know, what do they struggle with every day? Um, So I think a lot of marketers jump straight to, you know, how do I find them? Are they on search? What publications do they read? That sort of thing. But you need to go much deeper and really get in their shoes and understand what they struggle with, how they work. Um, who, who, who is the influencer, you know, who, who goes next, you know, who is the um, buyers, the t- buying team that they need to influence. So there's a lot of, of key pieces to this. And to me, the most effective way to define your personas is to get out and interview your customers that you suspect meet that profile. So say it's a design engineer um, and you have a particular company or two or three or seven um, that you've worked with and you think that person kind of fits the bill, well, go interview them and get in their heads about what it's like to walk in their shoes and then look for those commonalities from one interview to the next and use that to adopt uh, what you use in your content strategy. You know, there have been, oh gosh, several hundred books on the podcast. And every once in a while, I'm asked to talk to people about, you know, what have you, what have you learned from all these books? And I'm just flattered that people think I've learned anything. But one of the most important things, like one of the top three things, is explained in many books, including this one in chapter one, which is the more you understand your customers, the better you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And there have been several, including one of my favorite books, Buyer Personas by Adele Ravella. And she, oh, good one. Good she one. talks about that. And, and that's, you know, I, again, I, I, I think I mention or recommend that book every month to somebody in terms <laughs> of trying to, you know, go into great depth about personas. Yeah. And, you know, if you understand the, you know, people's latent anxieties and desires and what they trust, who they trust, what are their real fears, uh, you're, you're, and you know what? You don't even have to do it perfectly. You just need to do it a little bit better than your competition and you'll really start to break through. I have seen clients have what seems like an unfair advantage of uh, doing personas. But one of the most important things that you mentioned was the word interview. <laughs> you, you, you cannot yeah. go, just for those that aren't familiar, you can't go to your sales team and ask them for all this information on insights. They're busy and they have somewhat different skills, you've got to go talk to these customers and observe them and you know, f- try to find what friction is in their life. So, in fact, there's another author. Or, you live in Austin, right? 
I do. Roger Dooley, he lives in Austin, and he's got a pool in case you get really hot. I think you could probably go okay. over there. Just tell him I sent you. And uh, <laughs> and he has a nice cocktail bar and everything. But he wrote a book called Friction, and it was so good. And he talks about how, you know, really <laughs> the great successes, the great business successes, that one of their biggest uh, obsessions, like Amazon, is finding the friction in their customers' lives and trying to eliminate it. And that means not obsessing over what your competition's doing. Focus more on your uh, your customers. So when it comes to developing a content marketing plan, which is a, another chapter in the book, could you talk about the role that goals should play, you know, like key performance indicators and the types of things you you should measure. And I say that because I, it seems like I talk to one too many marketers who don't have any goals or even companies, and they're not even familiar with what the company is trying to accomplish. And, you know, it seems like the content marketing efforts never really work out well when they don't have something like that. No, I know this is turning I, into a therapy session, but no, but I, 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 I understand. And, and there's a time or two where we have, you know, a prospect that, that calls me up and wants to work with your marketing and they say, Hey, could you help us decide where our business should focus? Like what application areas? And I'm like, no, that's your job. You know, I'm the marketer. I, I need you to tell me your business direction uh, so that I know, you know, what types of content to plan and what campaigns to plan. And that's not how it works. So you're right. There too, too often people just say, hey, I came up with a good content idea. Let's write a blog post on X. And it's like, no, 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 no. It starts with- <laughs> What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Right. Right, right. So wh- what are the business goals? And and we like to have a three-year horizon when we look at that at least. So what are the goals of the business this year? But where are you headed in the next three years? Because that helps to inform longer term goals too, right? Like thought leadership towards maybe a future product introduction or something like mm-hmm. that. So where's the business going? And then from there, let's talk about marketing goals and marketing campaigns. So a marketing goal, you know, those center around, you know, how can marketing help support those business goals? So um, it might be something related to thought leadership, as I mentioned, it might be demand generation, might be foundational, like our website is horrific and trade shows are all canceled and we've got to do something about our online presence. I mean, that in and of itself is a really big goal. We'll Um, never have a pandemic. What are you talking about? (sighs) Yeah, yeah. Very relevant one right now, right? Um, And so then within those goals, you have marketing campaigns. And how I define a campaign is an integrated set of activities towards a common goal. So this isn't just your email campaign. This is an overarching like marketing initiative. So you can think of this as maybe a product launch or um, gaining ground in a certain area like, I don't know, um, Mel Arrow. And so um, within that campaign, then you identify your persona and you create a content plan. So now we're getting to content, right? We've gone through all of that and now we can begin to plan out, okay, what type of content should we be creating for this persona within this campaign to support this marketing goal? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. So in other words, the first chapter, understand deeply understand your customer. Two, have some goals. And I don't know, it was, <laughs> I felt like I was taking crazy pills once again because you know, it's, it's, uh, it's so important. And also, you know, what I mentioned that, talk I've given a few times where, you know, the most important things, one of them, one of the key things, this is like if I'm talking to a marketing audience and I'm always afraid I'm going to get thrown off the stage, but 
is that marketers have an image problem. And part of the reason is that they are, in fact, you know, overly obsessed with like, let's say open rates. I think you just mentioned that or some, <laughs> some tactical related uh-huh. thing. And these are important things, yeah. but when that's all you're talking about to civilians and what I mean by civilians is anyone outside the marketing department, you are not helping yourself go to your CFO or your CEO or your head of sales. I'm talking to the marketers right now. And I, I know I sound like I'm standing on a soapbox. I'll step down in just a moment, but find out what the business goals are. Find out what the sales goals go to your CFO and ask who are our most profitable customers? They will not expect that from a marketer. Your stature will rise. And if it doesn't, uh, I'll give you your money back. I'm kidding. This is a free podcast. But that's <laughs> that's uh, so important. And I was so uh, glad to see that there. And, you know, but I guess just between us, uh, Wendy, it's like they go, no, no, no. We just want to start with the content. <laughs> it's like, well, the no. problem is that movie doesn't end well. trust me you know i'm sure you've seen it too yeah you know it it drives us crazy uh as as i'm sure it does with you and anyone else in the agency business or anyone marketing in the marketing world where you are saying okay how you know at the end of a certain period of time and i mean more than five minutes they'll say well it's not really working well wait wait a minute what were you what were you trying to accomplish so uh, there was one one thing i wanted oh i'm sorry go ahead I just, one comment on measurement. Um, I, I love where you uh, recommended they go to the CFO and ask those questions. And ultimately, if you think about, you have different sets of measurement that you report out or that you monitor. So you have this executive level dashboard and those should be meaningful metrics that executives care about. Yes. And then you have- And that measures. does not include retweets. <laughs> no, no. Or, or yeah. Yeah, but they tend to be accounting Gosh. terms. Yeah. Right, right. Then you have um, a, another dashboard metric, which is, do you have a healthy marketing program? Like if are things going well? And then underneath the hood, you have diagnostic metrics of things aren't going well. So let's dive in and troubleshoot. And so really, you need to think about these in three different buckets, in my opinion. Yes. And so the listener will understand there are two chapters at the end of the book all about the measurement that you need to do. And it goes into uh, much greater detail than Wendy was uh, just able to to share with us. So again, the the book was a, a bit of an emotional roller coaster, but only for me <laughs> because, you know, at parts I was laughing to keep from crying just because I've seen you'll, you'll give advice and I'll go, oh my gosh, people, please listen to this. It's true. She's not making this up. And that was what I wanted to mention was on page, well, it's beginning of chapter four, page uh, 59. And you talk about options for content creators. Okay. So here we go. Uh, You say, think outside the box. Each of the many options for marketing content development offers both benefits and weaknesses. Now, I'm going to list all five. They're not long. And so the option number one is subject matter experts create all the content. And number two is marketing creates all the content. And number three is marketing completely outsources content. And four is marketing leads content creation with support and expertise from the subject matter experts. And number five is marketing and subject matter experts create content hand in hand with outsource partners. So Wendy Covey, subject matter experts creating all the content, marketing creating all the content, or marketing completely outsources the content. Why are those first three more or less dead on arrival? 
Oh, oh, they are. They really are. So um, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> yes. Um, subject matter experts on their own. Okay, let's talk about who that subject matter expert is, right? Yeah. This is an engineer. This is an engineer who is trained in how to be a great engineer, not how to be a great writer. This is an engineer who's not tasked with writing or marketing as their main job. Mm -hmm. So more than likely, they're not excited about writing. Two, if they do go to write, they're going to um, most likely go into way too much technical depth without building a story, without being empathetic to your persona that you're targeting with the piece, um, and so on and so forth. And then finally, there's an opportunity cost there. That's a very expensive approach when you take that engineer out of their day-to-day -day job to do writing. Mm -hmm. it's, it just doesn't make good business sense. Okay. So then you have marketing going it alone. Well, we can all see what's wrong with that. If you're in a deeply technical company, this marketing person isn't going to understand enough to be able to write to the levels needed to build trust with your technical buyer. And that so is that not a knock against marketers. Oh, no, no, not at all. But, but it's just they weren't trained to be an engineer and you really want that engineer talking to an engineer. Studies have shown that that is um, the type of content that engineers trust best is one written by other engineers within a vendor company. So, you know, how do we get the best of both worlds? How can we have a collaboration between a writer that knows how to write on a deeply technical subject, but they don't necessarily have to be an engineer, but they definitely need to know enough to be dangerous. And what I mean by that is understand the acronyms, understand the context of the industry. And then when it comes down to developing this particular piece, that writer needs to appreciate the context in which this content will be promoted. You know, is it part of a campaign? How does it support the company messaging? And so that's all information for the writer or the marketer that's good at writing to come in to an interview session with. The subject matter expert doesn't know any of that, right? They come in being the experts at their subject. Mm -hmm. So that to me is where the, the gold happens. Um, the fireworks happen is when you have those two people with their respective, you know, points of view coming in and collaborating together. You mentioned gold. I often say that so many companies are B two B companies, at least, and and so you, uh, technical companies, and they are sitting on a gold mine of information. They have so many really smart, uh, well trained technical experts that should should be leveraged to the full extent in in terms of yeah. teaching their prospective customers and customers and sharing information, just like the part I read from the intro. So basically what we're saying here, listener, is <laughs> you, you can't expect these subject matter experts to do it. They're busy. They have different skills. And if you're trying to get them to write, more or less, you're, you're, you're not really not using them to their fullest potential. The marketing folks can't do it alone. And even when you outsource it, you know, I, I don't know if you've encountered this with clients over the years, Wendy, but what frustrates us sometimes is just getting access <laughs> To the folks. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's sort of like, no, 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 just, yeah, look, marketing boy, just leave that stuff at the loading dock. No, that's not how it no. works. And no. ideally, if there's you start to get a culture of content, it really, uh, really works well for, for companies. But what are some of the ways that the marketers and the subject matter experts can start to work together better? Like how... I can only imagine, you know, if it's like anything I've experienced, you go into a room full of engineers and they're all sitting there with their arms crossed and, you know, they think, yo, marketing, yeah, that's, uh, 
you know, this guy's probably an arts and crafts party planner and he makes things look pretty. And um, how do you start to get buy-in from subject matter experts to participate in, in these efforts? Yeah, this, this is, I'm glad you asked this question because to me, um, this is key is, is getting them um, willing to do it, excited to do it. And, and so there are a couple of, of things that I suggest in the book that work well. So one is um, the, the writer being very careful to um, not abuse the subject matter experts time. So in other words, come up with um, a good way to collaborate together. So here's a scenario that works well. First, Ask them for source material that the writer can study ahead of an interview. Second, schedule that interview um, in a, a short period of time and be very organized and ready with a set of questions. And lead off that interview um, prior to diving into questions with helping that subject matter expert um, understand the persona it's targeting and the context of the piece. And just even two minutes of discussion on that will help that person start to ch change their mindset about how they answer those questions. And then finally, make sure to share the outcome. So not just not just like, hey, here's the white paper, it's done. You know, here's how it looks after it's designed, which, which by the way, um, sometimes we had a, a business owner just call their white paper their opus because they were so proud of how it turned out. And that's wonderful. But to me, the opus isn't the actual piece, right? It's how it impacted the business. So put a ticker on your calendar three months from whenever that piece was published to go back to that author and say, here's how it impacted the business. We got three new customers that originated from downloading this paper or, um, you know, it got this many leads or this many views or whatever it is to help them see that, that they're making impact on revenue. And um, for subject matter experts in R&D and areas like that of the business, that's, that's really rewarding to see that they could impact revenue like that. And it gets them excited about working on the next, I would hope. Yes. And yeah. you mentioned, uh, you know, more than just generating the lead. Uh, at, in a minute here, I want to talk about chapter eight, which was my favorite chapter, all about sales enablement. Um, but one thing that, uh, a little tip for the listener from page 67, it says, when you're interviewing, Never ask for information you could have found on your own. <laughs> right? How annoying is that? <laughs> Don't waste their time. Yeah, no. I mean, do your do your homework beforehand. Do your homework. Yeah. But Wendy Covey, I just couldn't resist. You have this other quote in here, and again, back to the hunting. You said, "Remember your you know these folks, the engineers, like when you're your your prospects, whatever." They can spot marketing speak with the trained eye of a gazelle watching for predators at the waterhole. Often, it just takes one whiff of marketing speak to send them running to the hills. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And uh, you know what? There's another, uh, again, a helpful thing it applies to folks, even if they're not marketing to technical audiences. Tell folks what the 9-10 rule is. Yes. 90-10 means 90% educational, 10% promotional, if that. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be talking about my products and services first? <laughs> like the oh, first, are you surprised? Like the first page of chapter one? <laughs> well, but, you know, we poke fun because it seems so obvious. But 
Um, oftentimes, and I find this particularly with startups that are have a disruptive way of doing things, whether it's a product or, you know, a service. They're so proud of their innovative solution that they think that if they just put it out there using the right words, like it's going to sell itself. It, it, that mindset still exists. It's, it's really sweet oh, and my naive. <laughs> yes, you would enjoy Jill Soley's book called Beyond Product. And she's a uh, marketer in Silicon Valley with lots of technical expertise. And she had, you know, that was, that was, much of her career. In fact, there was a line in her book where she talks to yet another CEO of a startup saying, we've got a great product. Why are we not minting money? (laughs) (laughs) That was a- For entrepreneurs. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I mean, you know, and and of course the same things that make them really successful with their products and and as engineers, it's just maybe a bit of of a blind spot. And I think that's such an opportunity for for the marketing folks to to help their their organization. So you talk about, uh, again, writing for technical audiences. You mentioned, as we talked about earlier, that you have to be careful to demonstrate that you understand them. What are some of the more common errors and and issues in in technical content that maybe show that you don't understand them? Back to the gazelle. So one of the things that um, you can do is if, if you're a company, particularly if you're a company that works horizontally across lots of industries and applications, you probably struggle with the balance between how much do I talk about my product in um, a more general way and, you know, features and benefits, and then let that engineer figure out how to apply that information to their particular use case. But the better way to do it is start to create content for each of those individual applications and situations. And so, in other words, the more targeted you can be with your content, the better it resonates with them, the quicker that engineer makes that connection between your solution and what they need. Yes. And, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it kind of goes back to that persona. (laughs) (laughs) All roads lead back to chapter one. That's the straw that stirs the drink. And it reminds me of a murder mystery I was reading once where it was really interesting and and greatly entertaining. And they were talking about a specific arm. And like they were describing uh, a a semi-automatic as a revolver. (laughs) It's just certain things that were just, you know, as a, as someone familiar with, you know, that particular yeah. topic, I just thought they have no idea <laughs> what they're talking how, about. How wrong. It, it's such a good example. I have another one. And um, we had a client that did um, testing for certain types of aircraft and it was armament testing. So imagine like, and this is my layman terms, but but the little thing that opens up the place where you drop the bomb, right? It opens up at the bottom of the airplane in the bomb. Like the bomb bay. Okay. The, yes, the bomb bay, but not not the place, the, the thing. But anyway, <laughs> now we went, now imagine when we go to put visual imagery into this armament testing solution, imagine, I'm not going to say we did this, but perhaps maybe we did and learned a good lesson before it went to publication. And this was many, many years ago. Perhaps we had the wrong aircraft 
and it didn't have bomb capabilities. And so that's a pretty big miss or using an acronym um, incorrectly. And um, all of those things need to be studied and just you need to be so careful because, again, it goes back to that gazelle at the watering hole. You get that acronym wrong, get that image wrong. They're out of there. You have lost trust and you have lost the opportunity to be at the table when that buyer's group goes to look at solutions. Absolutely. So, Wendy, once you publish something, though, you know, whether it's a podcast or a white paper or an article on a blog on your website or so forth, once you've published something, that's pretty much it, right? You're, you're finished. Oh, sure. It's just going to, everybody's going to find it because it's so good. The content's so good. It's yeah, just gonna like that product itself. you're talking about. Why, why are they not buying our product? Oh. Explain why Wendy Covey has an entire chapter, and there are many <laughs> chapters, about sharing content. Yeah. Yes. So it's real. You've spent all this time creating this perfect piece of content. That's half of the work. And then the second half is publishing and promoting that content in a way to attract those visitors and those eyeballs on your content. And so there's a a lot of different ways to do that. Um, One of the biggest ones is to think about search engine optimization. And so I do talk in the book about how Google has changed their algorithm in the past few years years to look at more relational content. So they're looking for you to demonstrate your expertise in a subject. And the more topics that you cover on that subject, the more likely you'll be seen as an expert to your prospects, which of course is most important, but also you're demonstrating your expertise to Google and they'll start to search you um, earlier in search results. Yes, and you talk in the book quite a bit about pillar pages, which we don't really have time to go into here, but that was the a couple of years ago with uh, your former partner, Rebecca, at Content Marketing World. We, <laughs> I did this whole thing with her on doing the pillar page, and it's really well explained in your book. And I would hope that we get people interested in learning more about that. But there was one other line in your book about the search engines, and I, I, don't, I don't have it right now, but it's something like, you can't fool Google anymore. Wendy Covey, I was shocked to learn that you can't fool Google anymore. And yet there are so <laughs> many people that think, oh yeah, just yeah. tinker with the page, tinker with the on-page stuff. And that's that's all that's all it takes. Maybe 15 years ago it did. Right. Yep. And more changes, uh, Douglas, are on the horizon next year. So it's important for marketers to just keep on top of how Google algorithms are changing. But the biggest piece of advice is just be authentic first. And if you're being authentic and publishing on a consistent cadence on something you have expertise on, you're going to do well at Google over time. If you're, you know, that's, that's most of the way, not all the way. There's some technical things too, but it'll get you pretty far. Yeah. And I think you touched on it. And it's this notion of write for humans first and mm-hmm. search engines second. <laughs> you're exactly. guaranteed to be more successful that way. You know, one thing about sharing content, though, I wanted to ask you about specifically was talk about the power of having your own employees share your your company's content to extend your reach. 
Yeah, well, well, think your own employees have their networks. So LinkedIn obviously is is top of mind when when I'm answering this question. I mean, they all have their own individual networks, and so you're tapping into different audiences. But also, it helps to help them position themselves as experts, and particularly your sales force um, when they're sharing content. They're starting to help their customers, help their prospects find solutions, be educated on industry trends. So it seems like a no-brainer because you're helping your company get that content out there, but you're also helping to position yourself as an educator and a spokesperson in the industry. Yes, and employees, I've often seen it written. I don't know. Uh, I know I have to source this. Uh, you have to be very careful if we're talking to engineers. But it's like the average employee has 10 times the reach of a company, uh, a company's social reach, something like that. Um, now, it's not, we're not saying order your folks to do that, but if it's yeah. something that they would like to share, you you'd be surprised. Uh, if you're if you're producing really great, helpful content, you'll be amazed at how proud your employees uh, can start to become uh, at at sharing it. So I failed to mention earlier that you all have been doing for years now, at least once a year, a research study with IEEE, the the Smart Marketing for Engineers, uh, where you. Uh, track uh, you, media use in, and basically all things related to marketing uh, to engineers. And uh, we're going to include a, a link to that so that folks can find it. I always enjoy seeing it uh, when it comes. It's about once a year. Is that right? That's correct. In fact, our survey is just about to go out for this year's study. Oh, Really? Oh, great. Well, let me help promote that because it's so good. Um, I've watched some of the webinars and Things like that. Although I think a couple of years ago it was because Rebecca was the one presenting, and I was in the chat pane trying to get her to laugh. <laughs> well, so. you can do that with me this year, <laughs> <Okay>. I guess. <laughs> no, this is serious stuff here, Wendy. Uh, but I wanted to mention, um, according to True's research, and True is spelled T-R-E-W, but we're, we're going to include correct. a link to your website uh, on your show notes. According to True's research, this is related to advertising. I'm sorry, I should I should back up. And it has to do with using, you know, we're not saying advertising is not, advertising is not bad. It still has a role. It just isn't the elephant in the room it used to be. And there are certain ways that you can use advertising to promote your, uh, your content. And you write, according to True's research and experience, the top places to promote technical content are LinkedIn, YouTube, and specific relevant industry online sites. You might be surprised that Google advertising did not make the top list. Why was that, Wendy? It goes back to those uh, engineer personas. They're very skeptical. And yeah. it's obvious now on Google <laughs> what is an ad and what isn't. And they just look right past it. Um, so I, I think LinkedIn advertising is interesting because it, it if you do it the right way, and as well as online industry publications, if you have a meaty content piece, a white paper that's you know pinpoints a pain point in the industry or takes a position on on something interesting, that um, that doesn't seem like an ad to the engineer. It seems like an educational resource, right? Um, <laughs> well, it is. Ad, yeah, yeah, right. And so it, it so. Anyway, those tend to perform very well. So I think next time, instead of doing a product awareness, take that same product and think about how to create an educational component to it and try using that as your ad instead of your widget. Amen. And it brings to mind a book that was on the show recently called 
Content DNA by John Esperian, who is a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast. Shout out to my my homeboy, John, in uh, South Wales in the UK. But he talked about, at the beginning of his book, uh, I guess a question he gets often uh, from a business owner says, well, what do we got to produce content for? Why don't we just run an ad? <laughs> Explain, <laughs> well, like Wendy Covey was just talking, people don't really you know, trust ads. They don't. It's one of the least trusted marketing things. It doesn't mean you, there isn't a place for it. But he's, he goes on to explain, you know, even if you do want to run ads like you were just talking about, you still need content. That's going to work better if you instead of saying uh, somebody, you buy a search term on Google ads and it sends them to your homepage, you're really hemorrhaging money at that point. Instead, offer something helpful, like a helpful piece of content. <laughs> to back up yes. the advertising. So there was just two other things I wanted to ask about in the book. And I said chapter eight was my favorite. I, I was mistaken. It's chapter nine. And the title of that chapter, now, you know, I know I shouldn't pick out a favorite chapter because then the other chapters are going to feel bad. And I'm sitting oh, here. Oh, it's okay. I'm you sitting here holding the book. You can have a favorite. Yeah. But, I, <laughs> but they, know I, they know I like them. So it was uh, chapter nine is create sales content that converts. And uh, I just wanted to read, you say, today, successful salespeople serve as educators and advisors. And this quote uh, from the next page talks about what we mentioned earlier, where it's like, hey, whatever happened to that marketing stuff we did? <laughs> you know, the, the engineer might ask, <laughs> like, did, what, what, whatever happened? I guess that you guys didn't do it. What, you know, did, what happened? In other words, they, they leave it at the, at the lead generation stage, maybe. You're right. Often marketing teams make the mistake of ending their content planning at the lead capture or lead nurture step. They forget that once the handoff to sales occurs, sales advisors need content <laughs> to support their efforts. The content usually includes a mixture of assets that marketing can create, such as case studies and technical specification web pages, along with new types of assets that support the sales process, such as email scripts and presentation slides. So Wendy Covey, this is the interactive part of the interview. This is the first time I've done this, of course, but it's page 175 in case you, you have your book there with you, don't you? I do. Uh, this one chart worth the price of the book, folks, especially to you marketers. And so it's two columns and it's titled Troubleshooting Sales with Marketing Efforts. If you want to change your perception with the sales team, read what's on here. And so on the left column, you've got an issue, like a, a problem that you marketers should probably be diagnosing, or maybe you've heard about if you have a relationship with your sales team. And then on the right side is how marketing can help. So Wendy, I want to read the issue. And then if you could describe briefly how marketing could help, it's a great reminder for marketers. And it's my goodness, this is why it was my favorite chapter. So let's say your sales team has low connect rates with prospects. They just can't seem to get through. How can marketing help? Marketing can create email templates and scripts for that first phone call or leaving voicemails. That is great. And now what happened to, to now not all of them want a script, right? Right. So it could be, there? you know, could be questions they should ask or ways to engage them that aren't so salesy. It could be data that you're getting out of the CRM mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that serves up pages they visited, emails they converted on. So some intelligence that that salesperson can use when they leave that message or that email that shows they, they care about what that person's done. 
and they acknowledge it. Right. So if you're losing out to a lot of competitors, now this is going to scare maybe some marketers, but explain how marketing can help if you're just losing out to a lot of competitors uh, and and this doesn't include price, okay? But if you're losing out, what is something that uh, a real marketing leader should uh, bring into the discussion? You need to look at your value proposition. Um, absolutely. So how are you positioning your solution in the marketplace? Is it differentiated? Uh, do you have the right features at the forefront? Do you have that persona and their pain in mind? So this one to me, and, and, and I'll tell you, my husband is the technical sales manager. <laughs> so I hear him complain about marketing all the time all the time. And he's worked at, a, at in, in technology his whole career in IT. And his number one complaint is we don't have a good value proposition. Really? I don't have anything to come in to differentiate myself. I hear him say again and again at different companies. And, um, and the one company he worked at that had it right invested so much time and effort into getting it right. They had very specific value propositions across very specific scenarios. That company was VMware and they were very good at, at, at doing this and mm. redefining. So um, yeah, that's and you could, you could write a whole book on that one <laughs> sure. thing right there. That's yeah. interesting that that's one of the biggest uh, problems that he's, he's encountered. So uh, let's talk about the next one, which is, you know, they, they're struggling to get from the technical specifier, you know, the, 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 the technical folks that are asking it to the executive decision maker, like the, the person that's going to authorize the check to be written. The, often the, the technical user, the technical end user is probably real interested in just the, the technical aspects. What is something that the marketing folks could do there to help get the attention of the executive decision maker? Yeah, I bet, the, I bet you that marketing has already checked a box on creating a case study, but the case study is meant for that specifier. It's, it's about that engineering solution, like mm -hmm. how we did X. Mm -hmm. Now, this, now what's required here is a different type of case study, which is a business impact study. Mm -hmm. So how will this solution help this company save time, save money, perform better? What is the business impact to adopting this solution? Yes. And then the case studies, like you said, those those can be more for the um, the technical buyer, but those can also help with the, the skeptical buyer or if they don't sense that they have any uh, credibility. Here's another one that we won't get to all of these, but one of them is what that I hear a lot is, well, the sales team's not using the content. Well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> was sales involved in producing this? And my second question is, did you talk to some personas about this? But let's say you've done those things and the, the sales team can't find that content and they need it really fast. What are some things that marketing could do to help with that? Yeah, there are companies out there that offer a solution specifically to address this problem. So depending on your company size, you could put in place a central searchable repository. So, you know, it, it might be as simple as like for true marketing, we use Dropbox. And for every service we have, there's a folder that says sales assets. And it has all the information on that service a salesperson would need. And that's great. And we know to go, go to that. And that works for my company because we're relatively small. And as you get larger, though, you might need to find content by different search words and different situations. And that's where you might get into one of these technology solutions to help you do that. 
And then finally, consider having an internal newsletter that goes out to your sales force. Um, don't send it too often. Don't yes. inundate them. <laughs> but, you know, here for, for sales to understand if marketing has some major initiatives and big new pieces of content, that can be really helpful for them. So um, I think it's it's worthy of doing. If it makes sense, just don't be a pest. Yes. And yeah. we can't get to all of them, but there's some of the others like, uh, what, do you, what do you do if the, the sales team has low LinkedIn following and interactions and not enough bandwidth to contact all the leads. That's a nice problem for marketers to have. <laughs> you do need to, <laughs> there is a solution to that. You start doing some, some lead scoring and uh, opportunities fizzling out at high rates. But the last one I wanted to ask about was penetrating new accounts. What are some of the things marketing could be helping? In, you know, We're talking about account-based marketing here. That's exactly what we're talking about. And I think that that some marketers get a little bit um, intimidated by the word, word account-based marketing, like, oh, this is a whole different thing and <laughs> different animal. And I don't know how to do that. But really, at the end of the day, this is another campaign. And this is specific personas you're talking to. And you need to think about what is the story within this account? What is the story we tell to these personas? Who do we know within this account that's a champion for us? So how can we generate generate content to help us grow within this account? Can that champion help us, um, you know, write new content or case studies specifically targeted at other divisions? Um, are they willing to get on webinars with us to speak? Um, so there's a lot you can do within those champions, but also just to create, and it, it might even be content that exists, but that you just tweak for that target account, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. You know, it all Reminds me of that movie Ocean's Eleven, where those that large team uh, steals the money that's in the casino vault, uh-huh. and the whole movie is it's account based marketing is not about stealing money from clients. People, I know you're, I know, I know you're, you're asking that, but it's sort of like there's all these little steps you have to do, and they're all sort of inter- interconnected. But it's like who specifically do we want to go after? You know, instead of trying to uh, shout your way in, just uh, you know, you use your head. So. Wendy, the last thing I wanted to ask you about to, to talk about was those top nine mistakes that tank your content marketing. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the ones that just really, oh, it's like, um, <laughs> it's like a watching a slow motion uh, train wreck. Oh, I have, I have to pick a few. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my favorite, of course, number one I, uh-huh. is... You write for yourself, promotional, instead of your audience, personas. Helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, another one. You use poor grammar and punctuation. Like that's just lazy and unacceptable. <laughs> and again, engineers are sticklers for details. Mm-hmm. They're looking for so solutions that are they can rely upon. And then you can't get your spelling right. Like no. Absolutely not. That's just horrific. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say, oh, but it's technically correct. It doesn't matter. You're in the trust yeah. business and you're trying to build trust. And it, that the, the, even the punctuation, it reminds me of the story of uh, Van Halen, where they would have these contracts uh, you know, to do a performance. And in the, con- the, the contracts were fairly long. I mean, <laughs> make up your own lawyer joke. But they would say, we want in the... Uh, in the dressing room, we want some food and we want a container of M&Ms, but we don't want any brown M&Ms. Okay. So everyone thought, oh, those guys are such uh, divas, you know, but that was not the point. 
The reason Van Halen did that was to see if people were actually reading the contract. And the reason they wanted people to read the contract is because there were pyrotechnics and the stages had to be built a certain way and attention to detail was real important. They didn't want the audience to get hurt. They didn't want to get hurt. And so it's like when they would see brown M&Ms, they would call off the whole thing because then they were concerned that nobody even read the contract that included all the safety specifications. So it's the same (laughs) sort of thing. When an engineer is seeing all this sloppy attention to detail. They're thinking, I don't know, that's probably the same amount of attention they put in to their product. So imagine, imagine Douglas, take that analogy and now apply it to your website. You know, imagine that engineer goes to your website and it looks like it's from, you know, 2001. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to trust you with a very technical solution (laughs) that is forward thinking. I, I just... I think what companies that allow that to happen are having to overcome this poor website in order to get considered. And why are you doing that? Why are you starting with a point of deficit uh, when that person, I, I'll never understand that. And I'll say, well, engineers, they don't care about aesthetics. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, to a, an extent that may be true, but you know, particularly as, you know, the baby boomers are retiring and millennials are coming in to specifier and decision maker positions, you can't, that's not okay. So yeah. having an old website with poor navigation is not okay. And it certainly will not pull up with Google. Yes. So that's, that's on the list. That's true. And, you know, the, the, they may say that an engineer would say that's not important, but it is important because so much happens at the subconscious level and they're looking to mitigate risk. And they want to know, am I going to look like an idiot for recommending this product and uh, it's from this company? And if your, <laughs> your website looks inept or incompetent or the, whether they articulate or not, they're going to think your product or, or your service or their trust in you is, should also be questioned. So, Wendy, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, I hope that this book is one part inspirational, but two parts practical advice so that technical marketers can improve their skills right now and improve the results of content marketing. So I tried to make this book very approachable, very you know, here's a framework, here's practical advice for making changes right away. Right. So with that in mind, what is maybe just one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the ideas from the book, maybe one that we talked about? Yeah, I think for that listener out there who is creating content sort of scattershot, it's time to put together a content market, a formal content marketing plan and utilize the topic clusters that I talk about in the book mm-hmm. to develop a central theme based on a persona and map their content. And they may have existing content that's wonderful. Oftentimes, companies have a treasure trove of content um, that are, for instance, maybe a salesperson presented at a trade show two years ago, some piece of content that's evergreen and perfect, and could easily hop on a, a Zoom or go to meeting and present that, record it, boom, you know, now you have two content assets that you didn't have to work hard at. So go back to the planning, you know, stage do an audit of the content assets you have today and then create these persona-based topic clusters. It's worth your time. We're getting into the fall season. Summer's over. We're getting into 2021 planning. That's where I would uh, point someone to start. Great advice. Great advice. So what books have most inspired your working career? 
Yeah. So um, if I go back to the one book. Well, besides uh, Smart Marketing for Engineers, shout out to Rebecca. Yeah. Of course. Hi, Rebecca. No, if I go back to college, my college days, I only kept one book. And it was the drumroll AP style book. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And you mentioned that in the book. And I do, Along and I Chicago, still, yeah. I love that I still have it on my, you know, on my bookshelf. And it's funny because now there's plug-in tools and and all kinds of ways, you know, to look up things. But I just, I don't know. There's something that makes me happy about having that. And then uh, Crossing the Chasm, which was originally published in 1991, and is still referenced all the time. And I still reference it. And, and that amazes me that, that the principles that Jeffrey Moore had way back then just have stood this test of time. And there's a lot of books that have come since that have built upon the same principles, of course, but it just stuck with me. Uh, yeah, his, his book gets mentioned a lot in, in other books. And I think the last time he updated it was 2014, so it's not too long ago. I read really? that one. Yeah, I, I guess I need to I need to read the more. It probably is the one I read. Come to think of it, but um, yeah. Um, and then uh, traction uh, as as a EOS based organization for those of you that are business owners. I know traction probably gets mentioned a lot on your swell by Gina Wickman, but yeah, that one great definitely book. inspired us too. Yeah, and I've I've met companies prospects who are, are using it, and it's really interesting. I I love it. We've been using it, so it's a. Uh, that's a that's a great one. It's very popular with uh, all our, our our agency community, our agent, all our friends uh, in the agency world too. So, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yeah, what right off the bat, everybody writes by Anne Hanley. Uh, I I just finished this and I absolutely loved it because she and I, if you think about the spectrum between a visionary book and a practical book, she and I feel like are right on the same uh, swing of where that pendulum landed of lots of great practical advice of how to create wonderful content, how to be a good writer. And she has this section of the book where she wants you to help strengthen your writing muscles. And um, it reminded me a lot of the things I studied back at A&M when I was a journalism major. It's a wonderful book. So that one for sure. Um, and and that was Boston. Texas A&M she's talking about, just in case any of you University of Texas people <laughs> missed that. Uh, and then the other one that I haven't read yet, but I'm excited to is The Maverick Selling Method by Brian Burns. Oh, and, I do not uh, know that one. Okay, so Douglas, start with YouTube and go look up Brian Burns and go watch some of his YouTube videos. They are wonderful. And again, my husband, Randy, the sales guy, found these and they're all filmed while he is like, has his headset on and he's holding his phone and he's going on a walk around the neighborhood. So that's the fun. So right away, it's out of the box. But what he does is have all these videos about just the ridiculousness of how sales organizations are managed, um, how they're measured, how they're compensated. and He's very X and and very spot on and um, and funny. Oh, you learned about this from your husband? I did. Yeah, yeah. I will make sure to include the those uh, videos and so forth. I will. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. See, that's yeah. that's kind of why yeah. I ask these things because I, yeah. I learn about these these folks and Anne Hanley's book. She uh, she wrote a couple years ago, and I think she was like episode five of the Marketing Book Podcast. And I just the uh, you know what as a matter of fact. Wendy Covey, 
I had this idea and I wrote it down in your book because I didn't have anything else to write it down on. And I was thinking, you know, one other idea for this crazy podcast I do would be to have a, because a, a, you know, I did authors in quarantine getting cocktails. Uh-huh. And there's, I think maybe I could do another series where I just have some of my favorite books come back on. In other words, I could try to interview Anne Handley again about her book because it's mentioned so many times and it's such a great book and it still sticks in my head. And, and you know, another one could be, uh, you know, Adele Ravella's Buyer Personas or something like yeah. that. Anyway, sorry, I'm just thinking out loud here. Right. But uh, I'd be okay. interested to hear about that from the, from the listener. I'm sorry. I have one more book for you, Douglas, oh. and it's fiction and it's just for you. Are you ready? Hit me. Okay, it's called Buck Fever by Ben Rader. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, no, it seems like I've uh, Ben R E H D E R. Yes, Buck Fever, a Blanco County mystery. He oh. has written a whole series of books that follow a Texas game warden, and they're hysterical. I mean, they're they're all like you know detective mystery style, but with lots of redneck humor. And so anybody who is an outdoors person will love this. Oh, they're, wow. they're witty and fun. And, um, I, I happen to know him. He lives in, in the area. I met him through Rebecca Geyer actually. Oh. And, uh, anyway, had to put in plug in for Ben and I know you'll love that book. So I will. When, I'm looking break, at, when it says buck fever, I'm thinking, uh, it sounds like a rather deer hunting book I've read. I don't read them so much anymore, but <laughs> I think this would be great. Uh, and if it's funny, now this is an example somebody who kind of gets you know that that particular that particular niche. Thank you. Well, shoot, I may just have to buy that right now and read it this weekend since uh, you know <clears throat> hunting season's coming up. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable uh, to your uh, site and your LinkedIn profile and the research and all the other things that we mentioned, so that people can uh, quickly uh, find them. And I hope that listeners. Please, listener, please reach out to Wendy and thank her for being on the show. There's about a million podcasts, and she picked this one. So (laughs) make her day and let her know that you appreciate it and that she didn't waste an hour of her time. (laughs) There was some benefit talking to the the knuckleheaded host. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on show notes link. Oh, and before I forget, Wendy, you've got a You've got a book website, contentmarketingengineer.com, and we're going to include links to that, but you've also got an academy and you've got a podcast, right? I do. I do. Let's make, let's make sure to mention that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So as you, as you mentioned, there are so many subjects in the book and, and there's limited, you know, time to go into depth on all of them. And so we are creating training courses on particular aspects of content marketing. And we've released the first one. It's called Content Writing Engineered. And it is a seven hour on demand course on how to write quality content focused on technical audiences. Mm. So everyone go check it out. We will include links to that. And of course, we're going to include links to uh, old number six uh, trophy hunting ranch. Of course. So, uh, <laughs> Thank you. They put that one first. So the name of the book is content marketing engineered, build trust and convert buyers with technical content. The author is Wendy Covey. Wendy, thank you very much for joining us on the marketing book podcast. Thank you. 
And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who've left an iTunes review, I would like to return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I will drop it in the mail to you. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on this show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Podcast.